0: I can hear the birds singing.
1: I can too. All right then. Hi, my name's Bree, and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I have a lot of questions. Who are you people? No, really. Who are you?
0: That's a great question, Bree. That's like a crazy loaded question. Ooh, that is a great question.
1: It's an interesting question. That's probably a really good question.
0: Ooh, that's an excellent question, Miss Bree. Oh, that's a deep question. It's a good question. <laughs> it's like what is the meaning of life? if I know. Any more questions? Oh, yeah, I have a lot of them. I've never been asked that question before.
1: Does anyone really know? Well, I'm here to find out. I'm Bree. And this is The research Project. My guest today is an amazing guitarist in a legendary rock band who let me play, and by play I mean hold very gingerly some of the most beautiful guitars that I've ever seen in my whole life and in my favorite color. So very happy to welcome Tom Toomey to the podcast this morning.
0: Wow. Thank you very much, Brie. Uh, good morning. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to the world. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. I usually start out by asking people what we're drinking, but I assume it's coffee for you because it's very early where you are and very late where I am.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I have to have my um, regular coffee. I I love Seattle coffee. So anybody in Seattle just listening to this, Please send me some because I've run out.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Coffee shortages. Yeah. How's the UK? Well, oh,
0: the UK's great. Thank you. Um, we're, we're, we're cool over here at the moment. It's very beautiful weather. And um, I can get French coffee in my local supermarket. So I'm, I'm, I'm OK.
1: <laughs> You're not slumming it yet. You're not in the dregs so far.
0: Slumming it? Um, no, no. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about dregs, all the coffee grinds go on the uh, rhododendrons. so we're doing good.
1: Yeah, exactly. they're perfect for that. <laughs> um, so my first question always and the most important one is who are you?
0: Well as you as people you know know, um, I play with the uh, zombies and I'm a guitarist, uh, composer and producer. been working I've been playing since I was about 14 years old. And, um, I joined a band, well, I formed a band called the epidemic when I was that age. And, um, I've been playing ever since, basically. my um, first, I could go on. Shall I go on?
1: Yeah, please walk me through your music career.
0: Yeah, sure. My first, my first ever uh, taste of getting up on stage was in a, a little youth club where a mate of mine took me along when I was about 13, 14. And, um, cause there was a three piece band practicing. And my mate said to the guitarist, could, could my friend get up and play? Would that be okay? And the, the rest of the band said, no, no, we've got to practice. And the guitarist said, Hey, <laughs> come on, give, give him a go. Give him a go. So I got up on stage and I played, um, House of the Rising Sun, which I'd practiced uh, yeah. studiously for many, many hours. And, um, I, I was smitten, totally and utterly smitten.
1: <laughs> and then.
0: That was God knows, 40 50 or oh, 50 something years ago and then um, while I was uh, while, while I've been in the zombies I've met the original guitarist from the animals called uh, his name is a lovely man called Hilson Valentine oh, wow. and um, it was like full circle for me and he came he's been to a CS three times and the first time I was just in awe uh, here am I speaking to this man who wrote the iconic lick riff whatever you want to call it to house of the rising sun in the studios yeah. uh, i think at three o'clock in the morning when they recorded it in london all those years ago We has ch- charno on bass and um hilton signed the uh i asked him to sign my my guitar my strat at the time and uh the little monkey put all the chords of house of the rising sun on and said <laughs> <"J-> <laughs> just in case you forget tom you know." just
2: in case <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's just so cool. Uh, it's so lovely. Uh, and that's just to, amazing. Just to close out on that story, I mean, Chaz Chandler, we were signed to a, a record label in London. With a, I was in a new wave punk band, and Chaz uh, produced one of our tracks. It was so funny. Oh, yeah. It's, it's funny how life comes full circle. Yeah. You know?
1: So where did you grow up and how did you get into music? You started playing guitar at 14, so it had to be pretty early on.
0: Yeah, it did. I mean, my dad gave me, um, I think it was a little ukulele or something when I was probably about 9 or 10. And, um, yeah, I thought, oh, what's this? You know, (laughs) it's quite good. (laughs) Um, uh, But I didn't actually get on to playing the guitar. A friend of mine uh, taught me when I was a kid, and um, taught me a few chords, and that was it, I was off. Um, I was born in London, in um, a place called East Dulwich. Margaret Thatcher used to live in West Dulwich, so we never saw her, she was one of <laughs> our prime ministers. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were in the uh, slum, slummish part of Dulwich, but now, you can't buy a house for under a million now soon. Yeah, it? yeah. But it's how times change. and. The house we we I was born in. I was actually born in the house in Crystal Palace Road, Dulwich. When I was a kid, I'd go out playing on these bomb sites. Oh wow! And I didn't I didn't realise what a bomb site was, but in the war, it was only a few years after the war that I was born. You know,
1: yeah. And
0: um, my it, my wife comes from Cuba, and uh, one of the funniest things, which is actually quite tragic as well, is the the kind of uh, description of why were there. Um, like lots of houses, and then there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in Cuba, the, the houses just fall down because they, you know, they hadn't got the money to, to restore them and keep them going because mm-hmm. of the lack, lack of materials. But in, you know, where I was, where I was born, it was because the, they were bombed right. in the war. Yeah. But we, me and my mates, we would merrily go and play on bomb sites. So <laughs> that was, that was a recollection. And, uh, so I lived, I lived there in London, uh, for about, Thirty years, something like that. Nice. Thirty-three years. Yeah.
1: So, one of the most interesting things to me about your career is the variety of genres and types of music and bands and solos and you know the kind of music that you've been playing. How has your musical identity developed over time, and while working with such different people?
0: Well, that's 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 a great question, Brie. <laughs> I've never been I've never been asked that question before. I mean. Hmm. See, it, yeah, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> oh wow, where do I begin? I've what, what a, a smorgasbord of things to choose from here. I mean, House of the Rising Sun, I mean, an iconic track that most people just start to learn, then then you get inspired by Hendrix. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, Electric Ladyland, all along the watchtower, just sends me to another planet now. I mean, when I hear that, it's just all those wonderful bands of the '60s and '70s mm-hmm. that made all that iconic music—the Beatles—I mean, you know—we could go on forever. Right. Horse um, with no name. Oh my god! So I—I I was blessed to be brought up with all this incredible music. You know, um, two years of my life I can't remember. They used to say that if you—if you could remember the '60s, you weren't there. Well, <laughs> take it. Take that statement for what you want.
1: <laughs> do you think that was the golden age of music, in, in your career, and we'll finish your story. But like, do you think the '60s was the golden age of oh. creation for musicians in general?
0: Yeah, I do. I think the late '60s. Uh, yeah. I think with the coming of rock and roll, rock, blues, gospel, spiritual, New Orleans, it all came from there. Uh, the Rolling Stones. They, they you know, the, we had albums coming over here. Bob Dylan. Simon the Garfunkel coming over, um, mm-hmm. you know, bringing us all this amazing stuff, albums that nobody ever, ever heard of before. And the bands at the time picked up on it all. Um, Skiffle, mm-hmm. it just, just uh, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable music. But I'd say, you know, going into the seventies, I mean, of course there's been fantastic music in the eighties, nineties and all the rest of it, Queen and all the rest of it. But, um, around that time, I was to- totally influenced by all that music of course then you know you've got the folk scene wonderful wonderful players uh in the folk scene and i became influenced by that as well and i've been i went on tour with the drifters i mean you know there were 40 drifters that drifted through the drifters well, wow I went out with one 40 of them. <laughs> yeah i went out with one of them and then um not on not on the emotional relationship level i did with them <laughs> It was just really good fun. Yeah. We went to Ireland and I discovered Guinness. Well, anyway. Oh, nice. Way. But, uh, and then, you know, punk, I was in a punk band for many years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Chaz Chandler, you know, produced one of the, the tracks. The bass player then went on to join Adam and the Aunt, Chris Constantino. Um, he had a huge success. And then, um, I got into Santana. Yeah. And Santana was, huge influence on me i had a tribute band for 10 years oh wow there's some there's some clips up on youtube you know if you want to look at them yeah and um then uh i got into i started veering towards acoustic music a hell of a lot i don't know why i started working the the pub scene for many years here Mm -hmm. i was on the irish circuit i came over to boston for six weeks and did the irish circuit for a little while i got to know some irish musicians and then after the the Santana band, I, I I started during all that time I was writing. For some reason, us composers and musicians, we get music from the ether. Mm-hmm. Miles Davis, I think, said it's all up there. You just got to tap into it. And if you're lucky enough to tap into any kind of creative art, you're you're a blessed person. And I've been blessed. I've been completely blessed. I've got I've got a whole stockpile of ideas on my phone, iPads, all over the place, of of musical ideas that I haven't put into proper recording yet which i've got to do but a lot of the stuff that i've done uh has gone on to a couple of albums and um three albums uh i'm not a prolific writer but um i like to think that some of the stuff i've done one or two of the tracks are are pretty pretty great so yeah you know you're you're always going to get some of the some of the things when my first album came out i said to people if you just like one track off this album i'll be a happy man <laughs> so I mean that Monty Cat album is just rock, blues, jazz, folk. Yeah, you name it. Yeah, so been very influenced by it, so many things.
1: Yes, there's there's some specific tracks I want to talk about um, on Turquoise, but we'll get to that. Yeah, sure. Shortly. Okay.
0: And here I am now with the zombies. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. We haven't even gotten there yet. No, no. So you've had you've had this amazing timeline and this amazing career that you have gotten to work with. So many of your influences. You've been, you know, compatriots with the people that you also were influenced by and came up with um, emulating. Whose style do you enjoy emulating and what of your musical influences have you gotten to then work with and collaborate with?
0: Um, how can I put this? I mean, I've been a session player for many, many years mm-hmm. and had the opportunity to work with some very, very famous people. John Anderson from Yes. I, and I have to say, I've not met half of these people. But, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're a session player, you don't, you know, right, sometimes. Right, yeah, you, just play. you know, cause, Yeah, because the guys, I mean, you know, I think Don McLean recorded the the vocal track in a hotel in London, and I'd already done the, the music down here in, in Somerset. But I think um, I, it's very difficult to pin, pinpoint what that uh, answer, you know, because I've done so much that I love... Doing so much music, I just love all kinds of music. And if if I was asked to do a, a, a funk album, I could do it quite easily. If I was mm-hmm. asked to do a jazz album, I find that quite you know challenging because I'm not a jazz guitarist, but I could do it, do it. And I've done a lot of jazz stuff.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, if I was asked to do a folk album, I you know it could be there just like a shot. Right, 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 right. Um, if I'm asked to do you know some some stuff uh, for for the band. Do my best to come up with as much stuff, uh, original as I possibly can. Anything really interests me. Uh, as I say, I suppose I could, I could say this without being blase or big headed or anything in any way like, it, cause I'm not like that. But I've, I've been told on many times, many occasions that I have my own style and mm-hmm. I haven't got a clue what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yours. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. In fact, I, a friend of mine just said to me the other day, um, they listened to Still Got That Hunger, which was the last album we did with um, the zombies. Mm-hmm. And they, they said to me, and it was really, really lovely of them, they said, you know, your your guitar playing just meshes everything in yeah. with what, what, what the tracks are. And I thought, wow, that is so nice of you to say that. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's <laughs> very
1: true. Yeah. So we'll get into the zombies. How did you meet Colin and Roth?
0: Yeah, well, I, I was when I first moved down to Somerset, I was introduced to uh, a producer here called John Sweet, uh, a good mate of mine, lovely guy. And basically, I, I, I lived in his studio for years. Um, I, was, I can always remember coming out of there at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, <laughs> uh, doing sessions for him. And um, when I first got to know him, you know, we were doing various radio stations and things like that. And then John sent uh, an hour, a, a couple of tracks to Colin Blundstone I think Colin, uh, John was looking for some, for some work, rather, you know, to get away from all the radio stuff he was doing. And, um, Colin listened to this, these tracks and Colin was blown away by the production and came down to meet John. And, uh, I got involved with Colin Len. This is 30 years ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, Colin had had a long time of contractual problems that didn't allow him to get out and do any work anymore. And that had come to an end. And so we made an album, and it took us three years uh, in between everything else that John was doing and whatever. And uh, that was called Echo Bridge. And Colin, to this day, says it's one of the best albums he's ever made. And I, it was lovely. I really, really, really enjoyed making that album. It was just such a joy. Um. Of course, what happens when the album came out, the record company (laughs) meant broke, which was such a shame. You hear that all the time. Yeah. Anyway, that's how I got to know Colin, and, uh, through the years and working in John's studio, I made another, another two albums with Colin, two solo albums. I did three solo albums with him. And then, um, Colin's career took off. Uh, he got to, he got to do a couple of gigs with Rod Argent, uh, which were really successful. And they, they said to each other, well, come on, let's just try a few more gigs. And the rest is history, of course. Mm-hmm. But, um, unfortunately for me at the time, uh, another guitarist, wonderful guitar player, Keith Airy got the job. I did do an audition for a solo band for for Colin but I never I never got it. The uh, Don Airy's brother got it Keith which was great. And then um a few 10 years ago Keith uh, decided to leave the band and pursue a solo career and um I was asked to go and do an audition. Up to that point I'd been playing all the pubs and clubs and a few festivals here and there with my my tribute band and I... There's a beautiful um, National Trust house, Elizabethan house, which is a mile from where I live up the road, called Montacute House. And I put I promoted for eight years my charity there. We had about 1,500 people coming every year. Oh wow! And so we put on bands there. My you know my Santana tribute band played there, and and eventually my solo band played there. Um, but um, up until that point, I was hardly doing much really. I was. You know, not doing a, a hell of a lot. I made my own album, the, Mon- the Monty Cat. Well, I got the audition. I went up to London and got the audition, and the rest is history for me. <laughs> yeah, that's how that happened. And, of course, uh, Rod uh, and the boys, uh, Rod, <coughs> Steve and Jim, it was a real, real uh, amazing time for me to go up there. My wife at the time was a classically trained pianist, Helped me just go through all the songs. I think I had about five days to learn all their, oh wow, all their set. Which I'm quite used to doing, quite frankly. So I've, I've right. been doing doing that for a while as a session player, you know, with other bands going out. But uh, I I learned everything. She helped me, you know, get get my act together on that. And I uh, went and did some gigs in Holland. And I remember we we did about five gigs in Holland. And after the, those five gigs, we came out on the last gig out of the club. And Jim Rodford came up to me and said, nice one, Tom. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) I think I passed the second audition. You passed the test. (laughs) I did. Yes. Jim was lovely.
1: Well, to your point earlier, um, with you having such a unique style, but one that meshes and, and contributes to the whole of the song and the music so seamlessly, how do you make zombies music your own? Or do you just try to emulate what people are expecting to hear?
0: never oh i'd never do that <laughs> no i am my own man when it comes to playing stuff like that i've done session, i've done i've done al- albums m- many albums um ha- having to emulate the current pop charts mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: we ne- we nearly we nearly got sued by uh, madonna once because she thought that we we just taken her track.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you played it too well
0: <laughs> we did uh but no no i mean there's too there's so many bands which fabulously are, are earning a living doing tribute music, right? Mm-hmm. Which is amazing. But when it comes down to art and doing art, you have to be creative and you have to, you, you can't think, Oh, I'd like to do that because it sounds like so and so. That mm-hmm. is rubbish. There's everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of music is done to mm-hmm. a formula. Now, when we, when I got together with Rod, um, and the band, Rod is very particular about certain things. He'll write a track. Yes. <laughs> he'll write a track and, um, he'll say, I, I'm really, Tom, do you think you could just do this melody and uh, could you play it like that? And so I'm still got that hunger. There was a, a few things which, uh, I think we, we did, um, I can't remember how many albums I've done with them now. I think it's three. This is the third one or fourth one, but there was a time when Rod would want exactly what he wanted. And, um, which is fair enough, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's his song. It's his, it's, uh, him, he, he, him and Colin's band. On the, on the, on the still got that hunger. Uh, everything I did pretty much was my own, my own thing, you know. And, uh, we got to that point where Rod would just say, um, we got into Jim Rogers living room and we just do, uh, go through all the tracks acoustically and, uh, it was brilliant because I just had free reign to do what I want mm-hmm. wanted. So I came up with loads and loads of ideas. Uh, Rod had a few uh, bits and pieces he wanted me to do here and there, but it was just a, a real joy to work on the album because I owned everything I did. You know? Right. So which when you get on stage you own it. Uh, whereas all the other tracks that I've done, I mean, when we're doing the Odyssey and Oracle thing, it's got to be played pretty much exactly as as, as you know the guys, the original guys have done.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> which is lovely but when it comes to getting out there with a the new band and just doing our own thing you know you need to have some balls you know yeah. behind the music and behind what you're playing you need to have some uh some kind of uh, commitment and um that's what i always love you know if i've got a, if i've got s- stuff that um i'm playing that i've created it's my own and i own it Um, and uh, it's also part of the band, of course. To
1: that point, you've spent so much of your life in bands or touring or playing with different people. Tell me about the experience of being in a band this long with the same people or different groups of people coming in and out and how the group mentality has changed moving from the 60s until now. The experience of obviously being in a band has changed.
0: Yeah. Well let's let's start with the zombies. Being with the zombies, you know, when I first joined the band, I was like in awe of Rod, you know, Oh my god, it's Argent, you know, right, holds right, your head right. up and all that. And he had a shop in, you know, in in, in London. Um and I said, Oh my god, you know, it's like well anyway, you know takes a little bit of a time to adjust to someone who's had huge success Mm -hmm. um you know where i'm coming from the level where you know i've not had a hit song or anything like that i think when you're in the in the 60s you know you could have a hit song like that now it would be just be so hard to have a hit song worldwide so you know people were very blessed to have Huge success and financial success, um, around the sixties. So, um, so there's a certain kind of, what's the word, um, status that people get. Uh, but actually when you get to know people, everyone's the same. And, you know, Rod's a lovely, lovely guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but, so I had to get, I personally had to get over, um, that hurdle of getting to the point where, you know, you're just mates. You see right. what I mean? Right. So, uh, w- which we are. You know, we're all, we're all mates. So when I first joined the band, I was kind of like a bit like, Oh, my God, I'm in this band. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it takes a while to, to you know, to sort of uh, come down to earth and get to a, a, the same kind of level. You know, it did for me anyway, um, which is lovely. Uh, now, the band, uh, we're all good mates. When we go on to um, it's like a, it's like a marriage, you know, it's mm-hmm. really, really, you you live in each other's pockets and half the criteria sometimes for, for being in a band is not how good you are as a musician. It's, it's everything else. It's, can you get on with people?
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, can you, when you've had a tiff, can you say, Oh, sorry about that. You know, can you, um, ride, you know, for eight hours in a, a, a van? But, right. You know, can you, go to a foreign country without getting culture shock yeah stuff like that you know um and when you can when you do all that you get a bit more experience you know it gets a lot easier and of course when when the boys started out 20 years ago they were they weren't doing well they were going to rough hotels in the states freeways opposite them you know and long long journeys in horrible vans now we've got it's so much nicer we've got lovely hotels and we get flown everywhere So things are a lot better now. Um, So to keep a a balance in a band, there's lots of other things just besides the music. The music comes first, but there's lots of other things that you need to have a balance with. So coming back down to the, uh, you know, say my Santana band, for instance, um, you know, it's all good mates uh, in the area that you you try and get on with, and you do, uh, but. Not an awful lot of money. You're going out because you love to do it, and most people have got day jobs, etc. Mm-hmm. When some people, you, you'd have certain depths to do certain music and stuff like that. When, when somebody's got a, a gig, they can't do it. Down to, you know, when you when I was in my the, the punk band, you know, we were a very tight unit. We were practicing for a year in um, the same rehearsal studio as ABC in Forest Hill, and... Um, you know, they went on and had huge success. It was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we went out there. We, we did a few tours. We did a couple of tours with Slade. And then they chucked me out of the band because the um, singer couldn't sing. Uh, he couldn't sing. Um, but that was great for the, that was great for the punk band. Um, but, uh, I was making up tunes and melodies that he couldn't sing, so they chucked me out. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh, it's so funny at the time. I was devastated at the time. I was just, I was devastated. But, um, coming back to that, one of the tunes that I wrote, I remember we were, we were recording an album at the time. And one of the tunes I wrote when I was in, uh, like my, my bedroom in the, uh, in the cottage we were staying in. And I put that on my very first album. Um, no wonder he couldn't sing it. I mean, you know, it's called The Wedding Guest. Oh, that was so... F- oh, jeez, man. So, uh, you know, I I think... And, and I, I love the, I love talking about the fact that I got ch- chucked out of a band, you know, because I couldn't... <laughs> I couldn't... The singer couldn't sing the melody anyway. The, the band split up about three months later. And then I was in another band. I got chucked out of that as well. We were number one. <laughs> we were number 1 in germany for 8 8 weeks and uh, there was uh, a guy called um oh forget his name no it doesn't matter mm-hmm. and um <clears throat> they chucked me out and uh, because their old guitarist was a very very unfortunately he was very ill he had arthritic uh, hips and stuff like that and so they wanted to give him a, a chance of the big time and so they said to the guy whose band it was uh, well a week before we were doing another tour over in uh, the, in Germany with Smokey. Uh, no, the Bellamy brothers actually in Quiver um, were. If if he, if uh, if our guitarist doesn't come, uh, you, you've got to chuck Tom out. If, otherwise, we don't come over. So that was that was another sort of little. <laughs> oh, Jeez, dear, that's funny. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. No, it's been a, a topsy turvy world we live in in the music business. Indeed. Yeah.
1: So you, you've you been in, obviously, lots of bands, but you also sing, you also write, you're also a producer, you also do all your solo stuff. How has each of these things contributed to each other and made you a better musician?
0: Uh, over the last, well, 10 years, uh, I mean, I've been producing stuff in my bedroom, and then I moved my bedroom studio into my, into my um, garage, you know, fitted all that out. I've been producing now for the last sort of, Three years, a couple of um, uh, people, uh, Laz Clements and uh, David Gordon, done a, a wonderful album for, for Laz uh, Clements, which just is absolutely brilliant. That's being played at the moment all around uh, the UK. Um, that's producing, uh, uh, I learned a lot of, a lot of the ways you produce when I was a session musician. And, um, in fact, Chris Potter, who, uh, re- who produced the last, uh, uh, Zombies album? It was really funny because I was, um, told that we got this. I couldn't remember his name at all, but I was told there's this amazing producer who's had this number one hit all over the world. I forget who it's with now. And, um, I, I was thinking, Oh my God, I oh got, you yeah, know, this is going to be great. And we had the Zombies for that still got that hunger album. We had a, a studio book for two weeks in London. Anyway, I got to, I got, I got into the studio the first day, and this guy came up to me, and it was Chris. He said, "Hello, Tom. We know each other, <laughs> and we we done we done about three tracks about thirty thirty five years before in this new wave band that I was in with Wisconsin wow. too." And it's like, "Oh my god, here we go!" You know, this is so cool. <laughs> that was absolutely fantastic. So, it's a whole, it's a whole. Um, I I was always very, very um shy of, of my singing. I always used to think I couldn't sing at all. And I got some singing lessons once and this lady said to me, Tom, you've got a beautiful voice. That did me a lot you know, a bit of good, Aww. you know. Thank you very much. Yeah. She was lovely. And um yeah, you know, I never had any vocal training at all. And um I used to thrust my vocals upon the unsuspecting public, you know. <laughs> in in pubs all across the south east southwest here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was, uh, oh man, it was just, oh. It was, anyway, so doing all that stuff, you know, over, over the years really sort of, I, I think, helped me cut my teeth, you know, with, with, with all that kind of playing live. I've just, uh, it's really wonderful because, um, things, you know, move on. I know you wanted to talk about the, uh, the, 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 the turquoise album, but yes. I, Two two tracks have just been picked up by an amazing um, producer just outside New York. Uh, one off the Turquoise album and one off the Morphic album, which is fantastic. And I have to say, you know, going back to the zombies, you know, who would have thought that 50 years later we would have been in, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? And yeah, the, I wanted you know, to ask
1: about that, too. So Rock you know, and Roll Hall of Fame 2019, I mean, who would have thought? I know. 50 years later, and then you've been with them, what, 10 or 11 years now? Yeah, I've
0: been, it's 10 years this, this month. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, one one of the things in this music business is that the the kids and the, the boys were real, you know, just kids, you know, when they went over to the Philippines. Yeah. Um, they were on a plane. They got out. They got off the plane uh, before they got off the plane. They they're into the the airport there, and Colin turns around to Rod and says. Have you seen all those people out there? There were thousands <laughs> of people out there, and they haven't got a clue what was going on. Rod said, "Oh, it must be some kind of like dignitary on the plane or something that we don't know about." <laughs> and, it, and it was for them. Yeah, they're like they looking was, behind
1: well, them to see who's coming off the plane. <laughs> like yeah.
0: they were as big as the Beatles over there. That's amazing. Uh, and um, they were playing to twenty thousand seaters in the Araneta uh, Stadium, where, in fact, you know, I've played a couple of times with them now, and. Um, they were playing there for eighty pounds a night uh, to twenty thousand people for ten nights. Wow. Um, when, when they got back, you know, the, it was all mafia run at the time. And when they got when they got back, they were totally ripped off to today's uh, value, about twenty million. Wow! Um, by their manager. And what I'm trying to say is that, and a lot of people I've spoken to in the business, big big names, have got the similar stories. You know, mm-hmm. and. So the kids at the time, they've completely ripped off, uh, and and that now they've m- they're making up for it now. The guys, the original and the original guys, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which I think is a fabulous uh, story for them coming full circle, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but. They went through the mill. Uh, I mean, you know, Colin's got some stories about. You know, he was, he was one day. He was I've got some funny stories. He was working as an insurance agent, and they had a number one in America, which she's not <laughs> there. You know, I mean, what do you do about that? I Amazing, mean, out loud. Yeah, but so coming up to now, um, the music business is a very strange business. You, you're either you're either feast or famine, and what you've got to what you've got to take a grip of is even though we're in times where Spotify kids of today think you know iTunes they think they can sell they can put all the music out for nothing and mm-hmm. people that are their creators don't get a penny that's fine well Lyle Mays Pat is uh keyboard player was recently interviewed god bless him he died a few months ago and in this interview Lyle Mays was asked Lyle you you seem to have um left the business for some reason. You, you seem to have, you know, and Lars said, uh, excuse me, he said, the, the music business left me. Right. You know, when pe- people can go out and buy my, get well, just get my music for free, what's, what incentive is there for me to create? Now, my point is this, that creators like myself, you know, even though we are living now in a situation where we're never going to make any money out of our music unless we're very lucky a very uh, adept at uh, working the social media stream where you know we still have to create, yeah, yeah. Like I was saying earlier on in the interview, times have changed. Colin has got a lovely uh story about standing at the bus stop when the bu- when the zombies were um, <laughs> when the zombies were harassing, and um, he was standing at the bus stop and he saw. God, you saw Rod Argy going, going, driving along past him. Rod never saw him in a Rolls-Royce. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I, I, I God, he said, I think I better start writing some songs, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, my point is this, you know, 50 years later, Odyssey and Oracle gets all the kind of acknowledgement that it, it, it should have got 50 years ago and didn't,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: just, and just by chance. And now, for me, um, this amazing producer uh, just outside New York has picked up on Featherbone and Ash and Love, and um, we've recorded, re-recorded Featherbone and Ash, and we're in the throes of recording Love at, at the moment, uh, which is a one. Uh, it's done an amazing job, and so I'm, I'm I'm feeling really lucky, you know, and and of course the Zombies are in the process of um, recording an album at the moment, but that's yeah. been put on hold. Right, that's right. where we are now. Yeah yeah Absolutely.
1: which is amazing and I do want to talk about turquoise that's I didn't know that two of the tracks have gotten picked up or your tracks have gotten picked one up. one from turquoise
0: yeah one uh, featherbone and ash um I wrote the music oh ten years ago and um had it in my back pocket for quite a while and um Melissa Kaplan uh, who's an incredible singer in um the states she uh she sang on the Monfrey Cat album. She sang uh, the title track Monfrey Cat, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. So influenced. I used to live in Spain, and uh, that influenced that track. And um, uh, I asked um, Melissa if she'd like to write the words, and she wrote uh, this wonderful melodies and and words to this track that I'd put the music to, and called Featherbone and Ash, and that's been picked up by this uh, this guy in the states. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. There's one track that I want to talk about on Turquoise specifically, um, okay. which is Sanctus.
0: Oh, Sanctus, yes, yeah, Sanctus. Sanctus. Sanctus, Sanctus. Sorry, oh, yes. that? yeah, yeah, man. Oh no, you, no, you said it the French way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I speak French, so that would make sense. A song to tool. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's, it's sacred Latin choral music with this like ripping guitar riff, which is right up my alley as an acapella singer. Like that's how I came up singing, oh, you know, choral Fabulous. music first. Fabulous. Uh, I toured Europe with a 28 person acapella choir, and we sang sacred music. During the day and all the all these cathedrals, we sang in St. Mark's. We sang, you know, at the Domplatz, and then at night we would sing jazz. And Mm. so it was it was an amazing time. But when I heard this song, I was like, "This is exactly (laughs) the joining of my two, you know, types of interest with this song." Um, Tell me about the concept and why it works because it does work so well. I I listened to it like multiple times. I was just like, "This is so rad."
0: Oh, thanks ever so much for that. It's so sweet of you to say that. It's uh, one of my favourite tracks on the album. I've got a friend of mine called Martin Emsley, who's a fellow of the London College of Music, uh, who wrote an oratorio, an oratorio that was premiered at Wells Cathedral here in the, in the southwest uh, about oh, eight, nine years ago. And Martin and I have been good, good friends. He used to teach at Yover College, where I used to teach guitar. And, um he he's got me uh, involved in his his, his choir uh, I've done a few concerts with uh, when his choir performed uh, I've done a few solo acoustic things for him in churches he he said to me he said I, I, I I'm writing a rock mass and it's uh, up yours to the the stigma uh, that uh, Rock music has has with classical uh, uh, musicians uh, in past centuries, so to speak. I mean, I know there wasn't rock music, but the 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 fact that you couldn't put a major seventh in in, in music in olden ta- days gone by because they thought it was right. like the devil's music, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, a bit like rock and roll and the zombies, really. So he asked me to do all the guitars on it. And uh, one of these tracks he wrote was called Sanctus. And he said, uh, can I swear on this um, radio? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, I don't, uh, if any children are listening, please uh, <laughs> close, close your ears now because I've got kids and I wouldn't want you to hear them. Okay? <laughs> right. You have closed your ears. Okay. Right.
1: You've closed your ears.
0: Okay. He said, I want you to do a fuck off solo <laughs> in this rock mass. <laughs> So, I recorded. He, he recorded all the, the choir and everything like that, and I had to put all the music, drums, bass, guitars, keyboards, everything, but you know, strings, to the other all these tracks. And I record, recorded. Recorded. I, I said to him, I said after I recorded, I'd done it all for him. He was really pleased with it. He said, I said to him, I'm making a new album, Martin. Do you do you mind if I buy if I if if I can I. Put Sanctus on my album. He said, "Of course you can." I said, "But I want to actually, I want to completely re-record it." He said, "Yeah, that's fine." Yeah. So I completely re-recorded it. Um, the drums in my living room, and you know the bass, upright bass, and, and everything like that, and guitars. But I didn't didn't um, record the guitar solo for probably about nine months. Wow. Because I was on, I was on tour. I was working up to it because I knew <laughs> that that track ne- needed something very, very, very special. And I remember coming off tour with the jet lag and everything, just getting into the studio because you know I was all gigged up. My fingers were working, not like they're now at the moment. And I did, I did it in a day. Now, I asked um, William Purefoy, who's uh, I think they call it a countertenor. Well, his, his voice can, he can just sing anything, tenor counted. Down.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: William Purefo is uh, a really famous, um, uh, singer over here, you know, St. Paul's Cathedral, and everywhere. And I asked Melissa Kaplan to do the vocals. Well, what you're hearing on, on Sanctus is just those two singers. Wow. With, with a little bit of the Castle quarry Cary choir put in for good measure. And I did, and I, I, and I did it, and, um, it was a real, it was a real challenge to mix that track. Well, everyone else thinks it's great, so I can only go on that, but sometimes one can be very, um, critical of one's own work.
1: Right, right. Um,
0: perhaps, you know, if a, a better producer than I could get hold of that, they, they'd, uh, make it monumental. But, um, I'm, I'm really happy with the track, and it's, uh, It's, I'm really happy with the solo and uh, everyone else that's, that's heard it, loves it. It's awesome. And I think that, I think it should be out there, you know, I think that should be out there and making, making waves. Yeah.
1: Making the rounds. It's great. Do you find it hard to listen to your own stuff or, or to other people's music without kind of like nitpicking and do you hear, like, do you hear the guitars more than you hear everything else first when you listen to a track?
0: uh before i used to yeah um as a guitar player i'd always be listening to the guitar what's going on uh and yes i'm extremely critical you know i'm I, even you know all the albums i've ever done i won't listen to them when i'm when i'm working on an album i'm listening to it 24 seven probably for about three right. or four, ma- four months and so um as a player and as a producer uh you the last thing you want to do is to listen to something you just listen to every day for three or four months. Right. Yeah. So I haven't listened to. Still got that hunger for a couple of years. <laughs> I I haven't listened to Morphe Cat in years. I haven't listened to Turquoise. Well, I've listened to a couple of tracks for, um, but I've not played the whole album. It's like a. It's a strange kind of thing because you kind of like you want to move on. You know, you did that. You you did right. a snapshot of that in your life, and that's your snapshot of your musical life. And then when you when you listen to it, like a year later, or a couple of years later, because all everything I've ever done, I've always thought that was a load of crap. <laughs> really, you know, I could have done a lot better. Um, I wish i would have done that. I wish I'd have done. And you have to, see because you get that. Um, there's a name for it. You have to put all that kind of thing to the side and mm-hmm. just move forward and move forward and do the best you can at the time. Mm-hmm. Something syndrome, it's called. <laughs> People always think that, that art, you know, artists like myself, it's the f- known fact that we all think we're the imposter syndrome, it's called. Mm. We're, we all think that we're going to get found out at some point. <laughs> 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 Honestly, we Somebody's don't. Somebody's
1: going to catch on.
0: Yeah. And they're going to realise <laughs> that, you know, I'm there, I am actually... Crap, you know.
1: it's too late i'm already in the rock and roll hall of fame you can't oh, take me God, out now yeah. <laughs> and, you know,
0: this is why we don't look at reviews because you know when someone says certain things about either good or bad it, it kind of rocks the boat a bit so you have to sort of not listen to reviews and you just have to mm-hmm. and so yeah but it's just it's brilliant to know that okay well i did that and my children um one of the tracks i did on turquoise is dedicated to my beautiful girl, Alicia, when she was born. I mean, one of the beautiful th- stories I've got to tell you is that when my wife was having Alicia, uh, who's nine now, she's 10 Aww. in June, um, <clears throat> there was a screen between us because she was having a cesarean. And Millie is um, a, a Cuban pianist, as I said before, classically trained, but she's a beautiful singer as well. And I was standing by the anaesthetist and my, my wife Head. I couldn't see her tummy or anything. a the screen there, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, Millie started singing this beautiful song in Portuguese. And the 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 anesthetist said, "God, is she okay? Is she?" Okay? <laughs> I said, "Yeah, she she's singing a love song." Oh man, um, was just I don't know why I went there, but anyway. So, got saying that, but I um, you know, a couple of weeks later, I wrote the song um about my my beautiful daughter. But um, there you go. That's Turk Oh yeah.
1: What's um, What's the most important piece of advice you have for someone wanting to learn guitar or a skill that's necessary to improve on the basics?
0: Okay. Well, if you've got a talent, I'll tell you two stories. One is I gave up playing for a while and um, I've been playing all the pubs around here. And one of the guys that, Brian, one of the publicans, he rang me up. He'd heard I wasn't playing again. And he said, he rang me up and we were just chatting away. And he said, Well, what are you doing these days, Tom? I said, oh, I'm doing nothing.
2: <laughs>
0: and, um, in fact, I was going through a really hard time. I was, I was signing on a thing called the doll here. And this is 30 years ago. Um, it was a very difficult time for me. And, um, anyway, he said to me, You're doing nothing. A man of your talent, you're kidding me. Um, and that really hit home to me. And uh, after that, I just thought, God, he's right. What am I doing? Yeah, when
2: wow. you've
0: got, when, when you've got a talent, if you don't use it, it's a waste. When you, when you've got a talent or you think you've got a talent in anything that you do in life, when I was a guitar teacher, I had kids coming to me sometimes for their lesson and they were about 16, 15, whatever, and they didn't know what they were going to do. And they were under a lot of pressure to work out what they could say to their parents or their teachers, what they wanted to do. And I had a few kids come to me, and they could talk to me. And I said to them, what do you love doing? What gives you, what turns you on? What gives you a kick? What are you best at? Mm -hmm. I said, because if you can do that, no matter what it is, and be the best at what you can be, you'll never work again. And that is the thing. The second thing I would say is what my stepfather said to me many, many years ago. I said to him, I said, Derek, is there a bit of advice you could give me about this music business and about my playing? He said, never give up. And I never ever have given up. The other thing is that you know, if if you want to find the directions to Carnegie Hall, <laughs> what's the way I can get to the Carnegie Hall? <laughs> Practice.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's like if you haven't done ten thousand hours of practice in your profession, you 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 know you, you're not going to get there.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm I'm still getting there.
1: I think you're I think you're pretty far ahead of the curve.
0: <laughs> oh, oh man. Do you know what? To be honest, uh, the last six weeks that we've been uh, locked down here, I've not picked. Well, I picked up the guitar a few times, and I've got a tune one tune that I'm working on. But you know, it's really nice to actually take a break. Yeah. And restock, and re-reboot, and rethink, and and think about, you know, what's what means what means more to you in life, than uh, rushing around on airplanes and gig and gigging, which you know I'm blessed to do. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes things can take over and. This has given, I think, a lot of people time to connect, especially with nature.
1: No, I think that's, yeah, I think that's very, very true. And also, I mean, I know it's been a hard time in a lot of ways for a lot of people, and it's been awful, but I also think that it's provided everyone a reset, like you were saying. It's like a big pause button, and you kind of get to see how people are prioritizing mm. um, things in their lives, how they're using their time how they're reacting to, you know, anxiety or stress or productivity in a different way, you know, like how they're releasing their creativity during this. It's it's kind of like a, a new thing. And I hope, I kind of hope it doesn't go back to normal. I think there's a chance to kind of develop something new yeah. from this that takes care of people more and takes care of your own mental health and your own, you know, needs and desires and and- yes creative fulfillment
0: yeah i mean yesterday was ve day here in england victorious over europe and i was going in fact i went to buy some potatoes from our local farm you know i can get like a massive great big you know almost as towards as me potatoes for five quid you know it's you go amazing. down the supermarket and you're paying five quid for sort of just yeah but i was going through the through this particular street in a place called stokes up hamden and i went off the off the main main street into uh, another little back alley where you know it's a bit quicker to get. And of course, I was driving slow, and all the people—I couldn't believe it. It was only about eleven o'clock in the morning, and all the people were out, yeah, talking to each other over the fences in the front gardens, and all the decking, all the bunting, all the flags, and it was like, oh wow. And the other the other day, I was doing my garden, and this guy just came along on a horse <laughs> um, and and there's people riding bikes and there's hardly any cars and the government are now saying they're designating 25 miles of some I don't know where it is London or or down here of they're making it uh, you can't walk on it it's going to be for cyclists yeah. now Holland has done this ever since time began you know and i've all and i've almost got knocked down by a cyclist once in uh, wherever it was but the thing is like you say uh, if we can start use this as a starting pad for renewing better solutions to the way that we connect with nature the way we connect with people the way we get to work the way we do our work i think this would be a lot I think it would be really good. And I really hope we don't go back to where we were because it's been such a frenetic. It's, it is a very frenetic world mm-hmm. we live in. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're always in too much of a hurry and I, I'm, my, myself included. And it's, it's, it's really brought, brought me down to earth. And it's just, it's lovely to, to even have a conversation like this, you know, where I'm just looking out of my garden now and there's no airplanes. Hardly any cars. Yeah. It's lovely. I can hear the birds singing.
1: I can too. It's amazing. Yeah. It's making me miss England.
0: (laughs) Oh, have you been here before?
1: I have, yeah. I lived um, a couple of years ago. I kind of had a, a really rough year or two and finished a bunch of shows back to back and was really stressed and ran away to Europe for three months by myself alone, oh. and was like, "Bye, America! I'll see ya!" <laughs> and oh. I left, and I lived, uh, I lived in London for about a month and a half, and then I traveled all over Europe. Oh, I went to Iceland, and then I lived in the north east of Manchester, like tiny little northern England towns, and then uh, traveled to France and kind of went through Spain, and uh, yeah, I just, I just left America because I was exhausted, <laughs> so. Oh.
0: Oh wow that's that's amazing And um did that charge your batteries?
1: Oh my gosh it travel for me is the thing that I find myself. If I feel like I'm sinking or losing grip on you know my priorities, I find that traveling kind of sets me back the way this quarantine I feel like is doing for a lot of people. Um, but it sets me back on the right path of saying the world is a bigger place than you, all of your tiny, you know, minutia worries and concerns and drama and things that you're dealing with in your daily life. It kind of zooms out for me and gives me perspective to say like the world is a big, big place. There's all of these people. There's a lot more to see and explore and experience. And so that's always kind of like the reset button for me. Um, is yeah. to to go yeah. to a different place
0: <laughs> yeah oh that's that's so cool um i i've been lucky enough to travel a lot of europe
1: yeah
0: on my own uh and and also with the band and like coming home from the states every time i come home i i'm one of these guys that really suffers from jet lag it takes me two weeks to get over it but i always come back thinking um exactly along those lines there's such a big world out there that people don't realize we live in such a small, mm-hmm. a small island here compared to. I mean, I remember Rod when on the last tour we were out out in the, down in Arizona somewhere. I can't remember who it was, and um, he said, "Tom, do you realise that there's there's a farm here that you could put England into it? Just one farm." <laughs> and yeah. I, I was saying that to my little daughter the other day, and how can you explain to someone how bigger a, bigger a country oh, is? Oh yeah, and. When you go away to, I've 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 travelled South Africa a lot. I mean, with my charity, having started up a charity, we we teach. Yeah, do you want to um, talk
1: about music for Africa? Yeah,
0: just just a little bit. Yeah, I mean we yeah. we we we've taught hundreds of children out there how to play guitar. That's so do awesome. their their um Trinity College of Music exams, um, and we've got now uh, three guys that eventually went through university with their degrees of music. Um, Matthew Matabani is still teaching out there, uh, albeit probably only about thirty kids um and i've done a couple of concerts i did a concert uh with with the help of ted gear who's got the love halley foundation and uh we did a a concert at steve adabo's uh, studio in new york we raised a couple of thousand dollars which then ena- that enabled us to pay for matthew's two cataracts because he was going blind oh wow the children we used to take out guitars um We've built three classrooms out there, and um, i met people and got married. You know, we did these concerts over in uh, Montague House, and it was a real success. And uh, when I joined the band, I got married just before that, I had to stop uh, the concerts because they were costing too much money. But we still kept the, the charity going uh, by shoestring. So, but we had a huge success. We were putting you know hundreds of children through their their music exams, and giving people. Even without doing exams, giving people a, a chance to to play a musical instrument. We took drum kits out there, keyboards and um oh it's wonderful. It's it's been a great a real joy for me to have done that, you know.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, there you go. I love it. Well is there anything else? Did we miss anything? I mean I could talk to you forever, but I don't wanna take over your day.
0: Oh, well, um, there's, there's obviously I think somebody's gotta do an interview with you, Brie. <laughs> you know, we we did that we did that wonderful um, All Saints
1: video, yes. didn't
0: we, in New, New York?
1: Yeah, we didn't even talk about how our paths yeah, crossed.
0: Well, well we, it was all down to my, my um turquoise bear handmade guitar, wasn't it?
1: It really was. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I fell in love with that guitar before I even met you. I know. I was just like, What is this?
0: Yeah, it's a good friend of mine down here in in Dorset. He makes these awesome guitars and it's a, a it's a, a, a Tele cabriol neck, uh, cabriole body right. and um, oh, it's fantastic. I mean and, and the PRS of course, I'm endorsed by PRS which is lovely. Yeah. Very very blessed. But no, you should you should definitely have uh, someone interview you. <laughs>
1: um what are you looking forward to when quarantine is over, and where can we find your work?
0: Well, the first thing I'm, I'm looking forward to is going taking my children around to my 91-year-old 90, in the next month-year-old mum, so that they can hug her.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all need hugs right now. Yeah, I feel like we're all very that? starved for uh, oh. human connection.
0: So that's the first thing I'm going to do. The second thing I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to ring up Rod Argent and say what the bloody hell's going on with this album.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys talked through this? Are they all okay? I haven't talked no, to, no, to no, anybody no.
0: else. We, no, we've all been, you know, sort
1: of,
0: <laughs> going slowly crazy. Yeah, yeah, we've yeah we've emailed a, a few times, uh, but you know I think we're just all taking a break. And,
1: yeah,
0: you know, I spoke to Colin the other week. Um, I spoke to our manager. Chris T- Tuttle from Rocks Management, um, and he's putting backup plans, uh, in place and backing up the backing up plan. <laughs> 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 he does all our, gets all our gigs for us and stuff like that. Wonderful guy. Chris and Cindy, absolutely amazing. If it wasn't for them, I don't think the zombies would be where they are, to be honest with you. Apart from everything else that everybody else has done as well. So we've got to mention them.
1: Yeah, they're both and, lovely.
0: Oh, they're amazing. Two of the nicest people you could wish to meet. And then, um, I would like to say, um, thank you to all the fans that have, have, have supported me and my charity and come to all the zombies concerts and come to my solo concerts here in the States and bought my albums. And I would just like to say, um, if you want to buy my album, just go onto my website. My name's a strange name. It's a court, county court name from Ireland.
1: Ah.
0: It's Toomey, and it can be spelled many ways, T-W-O-M-E-Y. There is nothing like this. T-O-O-M for Mike, E-Y, tomtoomey.com. I'd love for you to buy my, my music. There you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, thanks ever so much for this interview, Brie.